Today we're talking to Alex Migutsky, a senior developer at GitHub, about adaptability. Let's get rolling. Software runs our world. It's at the center of everything. And you, a passionate software developer, are at the epicenter. The world needs you to be the best you can be. Welcome to the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Somerdahl. I'm driven to develop and code because coding saved my life. In a few short months, I went from floundering junior to sought after senior and on to architect and eventually CTO. All the things I've learned through the years, I wanna give back to you. Join me and a new guest every week as we share the tools and skills you need to become a driven developer and make a more meaningful impact on our world. Hey, we're here today with Alex Magutsky from Berlin, Germany. And today we're going to talk about all things senior. Hey, Alex, will you tell us about yourself, please? Hey, Byron. Uh, hey, everyone listening to this podcast. First of all, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure to join you on this podcast. I'm a senior developer working for Microsoft right now, and I'm actually working on GitHub these days. Uh, more For more than a year already, I've joined the GitHub team, and I'm dealing with issues mostly and all things related to issues. And we are building some new cool stuff for you guys. I, uh, I, I love using GitHub, by the way. I'm a GitHub fanboy. Uh, been using GitHub for a long time. I guess you have too. And, uh, and I actually, just before this podcast recording, I logged an issue. So thank you for making that possible, Alex. Awesome. That's great. This is what it is for. So where were you working before you were working with GitHub and Microsoft? I actually uh, traveled to Berlin seven years ago, right? That was my first time visiting the city. And I do that to join a startup here. So there were a couple of startups in Berlin before I joined Microsoft. One of them was educational. One of them was IoT. What were the stacks for those? Started here as a full stack developer writing Scala on backend and Angular JS on frontend. And then I joined a company uh, as a frontend engineer, but I was doing mostly CSS and style guides for the company for like eight months so you can call me uh, a css engineer i believe got it okay i didn't know that those existed <laughs> that's pretty cool <laughs> well they do exist in some companies yeah yeah and what are you doing uh what's the stack if you can say with github are you getting to do any scala not really unfortunately not um we are dealing mostly with rails these days there is some go on the backend as well uh, but uh, GitHub itself is a big Rails monolith. So this is like this is the backend technology, and on the front end we actually have React and some of the new products. So I have a chance to work with that. That's pretty cool. I wonder how many people would would feel surprised that Microsoft owns a product with a Rails backend and a React front end. It's not Angular with AWS, sorry, Angular with ASP.NET in the back end or something like that. I have to say that Microsoft has a lot of React-based products. Uh, I think it's like hundreds already, including all wow. the internal things. Yes. And before GitHub, I was working on Microsoft To-Do, right? This is the uh, Wunderlist acquisition. This is the app we built with Wunderlist team and shipped as Microsoft To-Do. Right, and this thing is built on React as well. The web app is React. Well, Re React happens to be one of my favorites. Um, I, I I usually start everything with Vue. Uh, if it's 
if I'm all by myself, I'll do Vue.js. Uh, right. I just like it a lot. But then, um, yeah, I've, I've had to work in, in Angular and, and React and, and all of these. And at the end of the day, they start to feel kind of like the same animal. And um, <laughs> kind of, but but it's it's kind of cool that that Microsoft is kind of embracing all these different ones. Have you do you remember the old Microsoft with uh, where everybody's walking around in suits and 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 nobody's talking about uh, open source? And now it's like it's it's all over open source. I watched it from the outside, so I've joined like five years ago, uh, and I've joined when Satya Nadella was already a CEO of Microsoft, and everything has started changing. But I still kind of felt the old attitude sometimes. You know, we have to deal with other teams and some of them are very defensive because of the old ways. And we discussed it during our business trips, like why those people behave this way. And, you know, like when you spend like 10 years in one type of culture and then suddenly it starts changing, you cannot catch up so easily. So you kind of try to fight those changes back. So what excites you about the future of software development or programming in general? Um, you know what? I think I really like how everything got easier and democratized these times. Because like 10 years ago, there were less people who are able to do any programming, right, in the browser or whatever. And these days you can see kids building games in Roblox, for example, right? You can see people creating their software without any uh, like official education, without CS degrees and even engineering degrees. I find this really fascinating because this means that the technology is actually much more accessible than it used to be. And for me, this is like the next, you know, the next level of skills people can have. Before, literacy was just reading, writing and math, right? I think these days we are getting closer when literacy is actually some type of programming, even if it's basic, you know, like creating some uh, small algorithms, maybe for some devices or robots or things like that. But this is exciting to see because I feel like this is the magic, you know. If you can create your own spell using anything technology-wise and then it works, this is the magical feeling. Yeah, I actually, um, I, I, I mentioned like, and I have to dig back to my like seventh grade science classes. I think it's like the third law of thermodynamics or something. I don't remember what, which law it is, but it's that, that matter can neither be destroyed nor created. And, and not that we're creating matter as software developers, but we are materializing things out of nothing. Like mere thoughts. Absolutely. We are materializing, creating things like wizards. And that's that that makes me proud. I, I, I think that that's pretty stinking cool about our, our industry and our, our craft. It's confession time, Alex. Ooh. Step into my uh, my confession booth. So um, you've been programming for a while. You've been doing a lot of different things with different companies. You've been working in different code bases and um, no one on this earth is perfect. Not even you, Alex. And this I want to know. <laughs> I'm the priest. You're the sinner here. Tell me your sins. Lay it all out. What's the worst thing you've done as a software developer? At this point, I would say that the worst thing is actually hurting other people I worked with. Because um, this is something I hadn't realized for a long time. And usually when I have already realized that something was wrong, I was in a different team or in a different organization. So I couldn't say sorry. Um, the thing is, I've done a lot of things like that. Uh, and not talking about just technologies, right? Uh, I yelled at people. I made some harsh comments. I knew that they hurt, but I was thinking that this is 
something I can do, right? Uh, just because I have like a bigger title, for example. Uh, but the thing is, one of the examples which I overuse is probably rewriting some parts of our stack or some parts of our services uh, on the weekend. And when people just come after the weekend, they see some new code, which they are not aware of, you know, and it's already in production sometimes. That was terrible, to be honest. I felt like a hero at that time. But uh, looking back, that was a disaster. Yeah. Uh, I, you brought back some memories. I remember over a weekend, like refactoring an entire section of code because it wasn't really that, that good. It worked, but it wasn't very good. And so I decided to refactor over the weekend. Everybody shows up on Monday. Basically the rug is pulled out from underneath them. I'm, I'm sure that's how, Absolutely. how your, your coworkers felt at the same time too. Yes, yes. Hopefully it feels better uh, getting that off your chest. I know you've been holding it in there for all these years. Um, maybe maybe some of your ex-coworkers are working with you or are listening to this podcast and and maybe they can feel your remorse. They, they see the new man ready to go out and make a, a big difference in the world. If anyone has recognized themselves in what I'm talking, I'm sorry. <laughs> It, yeah, the the names will be uh, will be changed for to protect the innocent. Absolutely, thank you. You got it. You got it. You are now absolved of your sins. What do you just you you see a lot of developers? You're working with with maybe hundreds of developers in your organization, and you've experienced plenty of other developers in your time. What are some things you wish developers would just get better at? There are several things. Most of them are not technology related, to be honest. So one of them is definitely communication, like talking to other people, you know, raising concerns, asking questions and saying that I don't understand something. I don't know. I cannot understand what you are saying. Those are vital in any teamwork. And developers are notoriously bad with that right from the start. Because I think like we do prefer computers because you don't need to talk to them. <laughs> That would be a different kind of job if you have to talk to computers. Maybe we will see it in the future. The other thing is, uh, I would say empathy, right? Trying to understand other people's perspective and trying to wear their shoes just to see, like, how do they operate? What may motivate them? Why do they make decisions they make? And things like this. Uh, this is helpful not only for the teamwork, but also, like, understanding how your software, how your decisions affect other people. And at the end of the day, like, we are paid not to just write code. We are paid to solve some problems, right? And we are paid to create value. Like, if we can do this, then that's what makes us great. I mean, can't you be successful as a developer just sticking to the code, keeping your nose down, avoiding conversations, staying quiet in meetings, and just sticking to the code? Uh, you can be relatively successful. And I would say if, uh, if you're happy just writing the code, right, and doing the things in isolation, uh, that may be a viable career path and viable goal if you want to make something bigger uh, with other people's help you know and if you want to grow both in responsibility and your influence you will have to interact with people at the end of the day there is just no way to be a lone genius sitting there and cranking some genius level code without showing it to other people and as soon as you have to show it this is where the problem will come you know, even if you can do things alone, if you can just sit there, uh, code the whole day, eat something, sleep and repeat the cycle 
and crank out some genius ideas, there will be people who will be interested in that, but you cannot explain it. And that's it. There is no, basically, there is almost no value except for your pleasure, I would say. I could add there that possibly if you don't communicate enough or if you don't practice active listening and you don't participate in in meetings where where somebody else is talking about how a particular part of the software is supposed to work, if you're not engaging in that process, you might go and build the most beautiful, elegant, functional, maintainable piece of code that was not at all what the client wanted or what the stakeholders wanted. And then you have to throw it away because it, you didn't get it. You didn't get what was, what was supposed to happen. Yes, this is true. But I do think that this is probably one of the biggest biases developers have. And I'm not quite sure why it is like that. Maybe this is the universities, you know, or just the way we teach our kids. But a lot of developers starting their career see this as the main goal, you know, writing some elegant code, making beautiful systems so that other people can be proud of them. Uh, and that's it. They do not really think about what's next and how the software will perform its function, you know whether it's valuable or not for the end user or for the client. It's not something uh, junior developers and younger people are actually bothered with. Or at least it's it was my experience in most of the places. Yeah, I think that it's important for everybody to realize that most of the time, our code is not just for us. We are not just developing code in isolation, something like some masterpiece, like we're a Mozart or a Beethoven and we are... Uh, able to to code just for ourselves. I mean, maybe you have a side project every now and then. Maybe you're one of these developers who's also a founder and, and you're the only coder on the whole project. And maybe in that case, yes, you're you're building something that's just for your own pleasure. But most of us have to work with other people. Most of us have to work on uh, on a project that that has a shared code base between other us and other people. And we're having to answer for stakeholders and their their desires. And we have to a, build something that is functionally accurate and it's, it fulfills the needs of the company or the stakeholders, but it's also, it's something that other, other developers can, can understand. Have you ever discovered in one of these code bases where, where you're working some piece of code that is so incredibly intelligent and clever, like it, it feels like a, a meta human has, has somehow created this code is like so unbelievably complicated and beautiful and you can tell what they're trying to do but it's just so clever how's that feel um to be honest that's probably the code i write sometimes <laughs> maybe <laughs> too complicated <laughs> uh kind of sometimes you know when i'm really deep into the things and i get lost in programming this is this is something i can kind of <laughs> write where no one else would be able to understand it without uh, interrogating me. Uh, and yes, that feels terrible from my side. Um, I've seen the code like that from the other side, where other people would generate something like that, right? This is basically the mind flow programming, where you just dump everything you think, and if you are really clever, you can, you can create amazingly complex codes and amazingly complex relationships in between. But it doesn't help. No one will understand it. Sorry, I have several anecdotes where... Uh, some startups were looking for people after their main developer has left and no one could understand what's happening inside. 
right? People were coming, like contractors were coming, uh, great people were coming, like very intelligent and high paying. And they were saying like, we do not really understand how it works. It's just a set of services. We can run it. We can see the source code, but we have no clue how it works. And I actually experienced this uh, firsthand at one of my jobs. That was, you know, that was like finding an ancient manuscript where you can appreciate it because it's historical. It's amazing. It's very old. It has great ideas. There is no one in the world who can speak this language. And you understand this and you can only try to decode it, but it will probably take more time than to just start solving the problem right from scratch. And this is usually what happens. Like people just dump it, dump this great idea saying, hey, we cannot decipher it. It doesn't make sense to spend time on that. You know, let's just start solving the problem from scratch. It's time for you to take control. Hey, Byron here, coming at you from a different place and time to put a pause to this podcast and call attention to something really important. You've probably thought at times that it's really hard to get traction in your own learning and growth as a software developer. You should join the Dev Amplifier, the mastery growth system for software developers. In the Dev Amplifier, you'll receive weekly coaching and quests and assessments and check-ins all designed to help you grow from whatever level you're at as a software developer to the next level and amplify your career. It's only $83 a month, so stop everything else that you're doing right now. Pause this podcast and head over to my website to sign up for the Dev Amplifier right now. It'll be the best decision you make all day. Now, let's get back to the Driven Developer Podcast. What are some things that you see great developers doing? What are some of the, the hallmarks or behaviors of really great developers? There is actually a lot of things. Um, many people are doing different things. I mean, they have different aspects which they are great about, right? They have super strengths. And I do think that one thing which uh, is true not only for developers, but for any like top performer is that they know their greatest strengths, right? And they know how to use it uh, the best way. So they do understand what is the best context where I can shine. This is one thing. If you talk about something more concrete, um, there are great developers who know how to communicate complex ideas. And this is very valuable, right? If you can explain the idea in different languages on different levels, uh, this is a great asset. I think this was Richard Feynman who said, if you really understand physics, you should be able to explain it to five-year-old, right? I think this is like this idea. If you are great at what you are doing, you should be able to communicate it to different people, like technical people, junior technical people, uh, non-technical people and people who are completely away from technologies. Uh, this is one of the superpowers I've seen and I was fascinated how it can work. Another one is being able to switch between different contexts or tasks really quickly. Uh, this is about adaptation, I believe. Like People can adapt to different uh, circumstances really fast and this is one of the superpowers as well like if you can jump between the projects you know and you can understand what happens really quickly right mm -hmm. this is an amazing asset to have i would say everyone in the world want to have people like that in their team when 
things go wrong, for example, or when there are sudden changes and you need to react. It's great to have someone who can be a pioneer and get all this information fast and process it fast and explain it to other people, right? Also, there are people who have a really great um, outlook in general, who know a lot of things and how they communicate and how they work together. Usually, they are good with systems thinking as well. Like They can kind of analyze and sometimes even predict how the system will behave in some details which other people cannot see. And this is more strategical level, right? But if you work with people like that, they can explain how your decision influences other people in the way you would never imagine before. This is another superpower I have seen and I can pinpoint basically saying that this is cool and you should have something like that. But the thing is, like, you cannot have everything. How do you see developers nurturing those skills? Uh, this is a very interesting question. I have talked to different people and I've asked this question. Uh, most of them do not really know how to train it, you know. They just say, this is natural. I've just used it all my life and that's it. And I had the impression that they just know that they have the superpower, right? And they just use it, like in all the context. This is the hammer you have, <laughs> which you can use everywhere and try to apply it to every problem and then just understand what's the best way to apply it, right? What's the best way to handle this hammer and how you can be more efficient with this thing. I do believe that this is the question of just uh, training it and trying it in different contexts as with any other skill. It's just that I think that great people just have the idea that they know what they're doing. Like they're not really in doubt with these specific skills. They may be, they may be having like an imposter syndrome in general, right? Thinking that maybe I'm not this good. But when it comes to this skill, they, they just shine. You can see like when they have the chance to use it, they light up. You can feel the energy. So tell me about a time when you have witnessed another developer taking ownership of a problem. Actually, I do see this a lot at GitHub. We have a culture of responsible individuals. It's called DRI. Uh, I think it's directly responsible individual. Basically, when we have a complex task, we do assign a single person. Usually, they volunteer, right? Uh, and they take the ownership of this uh, this whole idea and the whole problem. Like their role is to ask questions and make decisions and get everyone on board with their opinions and pick the best. The thing is, in some companies, it's a bit different. Like you don't have anything like that in the culture, right? But people still do that. And I would say this is probably the basis of our work in general. Like if you want to grow, you have to take responsibility. You have to take the ownership of the problems you have. One of the examples would be, you know, uh, people are interested in different technologies. And when someone sees the problem, which is really close to their heart, they just volunteer to solve it. And they then they drive it. It happens naturally sometimes. Sometimes people just try to force themselves to do something like this. But the whole idea that you see the problem, which is not you know, which is different from others, which is uh, resonating within you, right? This is the place where you kind of have to step up just because otherwise you won't be sleeping good at night. <laughs> and I've seen this a lot. Like, I would say that uh, healthy teams, they do have people like this who act up quite 
uh, often, right? Who take the responsibility quite often. Yeah, the the difference between somebody who is completing a task because it flowed naturally out of them, out of their own sense of ownership, or somebody who is doing a task that it was pushed on them. They don't really believe in what they're doing, and they're just they're just going to get the task done. The out the difference in output might might be the same, but eight times out of ten, nine times out of ten, the output's going to be better from somebody that actually took ownership of the problem and and really made it part of them. And even if it even if it does come out with the same output, the next time a problem like that is going to be solved, it's going to be solved better by the person that took ownership because it's now part of them. The other person is going to have to go back to rote memory. The other person is going to have to go back to Google and relearn all the things that they did. Absolutely. Also, it's a great part of your motivation day to day. Like if you see the problem which is really interesting and resonates, you have to own it. Uh, and this will foster your knowledge and foster your learning. Also, you will just feel much better. Like if you work on the problems which really interest you, you won't spend as much energy as you would otherwise. So what are some of the ways that you are seeing developers at GitHub adapt to their surroundings, adapt to uh, problems that are, that are coming out, adapting th this, this concept of, of adaptation, I think is super important for us as developers. And uh, I just, I'd, I'd love to hear some examples from around you of, of where, where we are, where we can see that, that, people with, with senior software developer abilities are adapting to what's going on around them. Right. Uh, this is a very interesting topic. So let's talk about GitHub because GitHub is a very well-known distributed remote company, right? So we are not sitting in the same office and we are working on across different geographies, across different time zones, and we are still working efficiently together. The thing is, uh, GitHub has the idea of autonomous teams where you have like small squads uh, working on some specific problems. Uh, the way we adapt is uh, we do have product managers and designers, right, who have great ideas, and we call those ideas bets, right? When we want to try something new, we just build something and we treat it as a bet. Like you build a prototype, you release it to the internal audience, you get the feedback and you iterate on that. The thing is, sometimes you have to just drop the prototype when you see that the results are not great, right? Or the things you have hypothesized about are not true. And this is the part of the process. This is the learning you have to do. Uh, and in GitHub, it actually works great because we have a lot of teams who are doing that. Uh, another thing is uh, we do have... I don't know how it's called. I would call it like shared resources economy for the developers, right? Which means that some teams uh, do share developers between projects. Like uh, me as a developer, I can just join a different team if I have some capacity, right? If I'm not very loaded with my main project, I can go to a different one and help other people who need my help more. Wait a second, wait a second. You're, you're saying you can go to any team in GitHub and just play around join the team i mean do they is there some sort of like transfer process or you have to go through an approval process or something like that so uh i wouldn't say i can go to just any random team right i think this can be actually done but this is a more uh, complicated process but what we can easily do is you can go to a different team within your org right so if we are working on the product part where we build user facing features 
uh, I can go to any other team which is working on the same umbrella. Uh, and this can easily happen if I like if I'm not working on something critical right now, right? Where there are strict deadlines. This happens sometimes. But if uh, everything is okay, right? I can just tell my manager that I want to try a different thing with a different team. And usually before that, you actually talk to a different team and you ask them, can I help with something? Can I try something? Can I just close a couple of issues you have in your backlog? And this is really appreciated. Not many people are doing that. And many times it's actually coming, these opportunities come through your manager. Like they will come and say, do you want to try this different thing? I know that you were talking about backend, for example, right? The other team is doing something with the backend. They need more hands. Do you want to join them for three months? And you say, like, yes, I want to do that. And next week you can just join their standups. <laughs> you can join their process. And I'm actually doing it right now. Uh, I was building uh, user-facing features with React, right? And now, right now, I'm doing some data partitioning, like transitioning some data in the database and splitting some things, uh, reshaping tables. Uh, and I've basically joined a different team with all their processes, like their daily standups, their retrospectives, everything like that. So for me, it basically feels like I'm in a different team, uh, though my basically my manager stayed the same, right? I still communicate with my previous team. And I still am involved in other activities in my previous team. So what's your process when you move into a new team and you're going to start working in maybe a new code base, maybe even a different, um, a different set of, of tools or a different stack, definitely different teammates, maybe slightly different process. What's your process, uh, the Alex process, for getting yeah. to adapt yourself to be able to get into the, the, the state of effectiveness for that team? Right, so a couple of caveats or comments first. Um, we do have a pretty standardized set of tools and uh, we are mostly working on Rails code base, right? So there is not much context switching when you join a different product team, I would say. Uh, it may be quite different when you join like an infrastructure team, for example, who is doing mostly ops work and stuff like that. This is where you will need some kind of ramp up. But for product teams, we do have I would say a really straightforward process. Uh, the first thing I would do when I join a new team, I would find a mentor or a pair to code with, you know, like someone who would help me uh, adapt to the team and who will explain me what is happening inside. And this is what I'm exactly doing right now. Like I have a great colleague who is basically uh, helping me adapt and uh, understand the domain and the problems underlying this domain. Right, and we do pair code. Um, I would say at least half of the week. Um, so this really helps. And then uh, the main thing here is to be open and talk to people, because otherwise you won't be part of the team. Right? If you don't communicate, if you don't take part in team activities, uh, it won't feel natural. What if you just showed up to that new team and just kind of stood around and? I mean, would, would, would people just eventually hand you something to work on or are they waiting on you to, to take the initiative? I think this depends on the team, right? Uh, different people act differently. The thing is, uh, if I just show up in some random team and I say like, hey, I am now in your team and just sit silent there, <laughs> I would immediately be approached by someone saying, hi, how are you doing? What are you going to work on? And then just the conversation starts. Uh, this is the usual, I would say, cycle in any team of, um, of a decent size where 
where it's healthy, you know, where people are not overworked and they are not stressed out. Because you do, like, can you imagine the uh, <laughs> the situation where someone joins your team and they are just staying silent and you are wondering, like, who is this new person sitting next to us? <laughs> you probably would kind of, you can wait for a day or maybe two, but then you will ask questions. Yeah, like, hey, are you going to bring me a Coke or you code <laughs> something? something? Like you know? <laughs> kind of, kind of, yeah. Or just, uh, can we help you? Why do you kind of lurk here? Do you need some help? Do you need some assistance? <laughs> and then you figure out this is your new colleague. <laughs> this is terrible. I had experiences like that. That was really bad. Do you ever, um, do you have any junior developers at GitHub or is everybody pretty senior? Uh, we do have junior developers, but probably not in the amount I would expect to, right? Um, probably this is the future for GitHub. The thing is, uh, after the acquisition, GitHub grew a lot. Like, I believe we tripled uh, the number of developers we have, uh, right? And I joined GitHub from Microsoft, so I was transferred from a different project directly to GitHub. Um, we do have, in my team, we do have uh, a lot of senior developers and um, just software developers of different levels. We don't have many junior people. Uh, the thing is, I would expect GitHub to have more junior people because we do have a lot of tasks where they can grow and where we need more hands, I would say, where you don't need to have like deep expertise and uh, you still can gain a lot of knowledge by doing the work you're doing. Would you say that there is a process at GitHub that allows junior developers to grow? Is there a, maybe a, a ramp that they go up in order to, to grow and learn new things? Thank you for asking that, uh, because I would say GitHub has a very good program of uh, starting with the GitHub in general, with all the tools and processes inside. So... Uh, GitHub is working on an internal bootcamp right now. And we tried this process when we joined uh, from Microsoft side, right? We basically went through an onboarding, which lasted, uh, I think, six weeks, right? We had some uh, business meetings where people were explaining us what's happening, what is the strategy. And then we had several sessions on Rails because... Uh, we did not have extensive experience with Rails. So we basically learned the framework and the approaches when we joined GitHub. Uh, we had like internal trainings for a couple of weeks, very intense, uh, but very informative, where we were just ramped up. And then um, right now, GitHub is uh, expanding this program so that it's a bit more involved, so that you can actually join different teams, right? And try these tasks they have. Like you can try working in different teams and then figure out what is your area? What do you prefer right now to work on? And I think this is great. I know that Facebook has something similar and they have probably a more mature process, but it's nice to see you know, this process growing firsthand. So if you could give one piece of advice to the world's junior developers, what would it be? There's many, you know, many different aspects uh, you can focus on. Uh, the one thing I would say, which is very important, uh, is the skill you mentioned, is the skill of adaptation. Like, you need to learn how to embrace change and how to uh, basically fit into the new world which is forming around you. This is very complicated, I would say. This is hard to understand how to do it properly, right? 
But I would say this is the skill you can get uh, right at the start of your career, which will be there with you throughout your career till the end. Like you need to figure out what you personally can do to help yourself change uh, according to the world changing around you. Maybe it has something to do with curiosity, right? So you find yourself in a new situation. If you don't have curiosity, then you might be like the person that shows up to a new Git, uh, a new GitHub team and just stands there lurking um, and, and waiting for somebody to give them something to do. If you are naturally curious or if you can grow the curiosity bone in you, then you might start looking for ways that you need to react or adapt. You need to uh, you need to take this course over here. You need to talk with this person over there. You need to uh, you need to dig into this this documentation, whatever it is to to adapt. You need to start doing things intentionally to change your brain, to change your your reaction to things around you. Yes. I would say uh, it's a very complex skill. Like it requires a different uh, skills underneath this umbrella. Uh, being curious is really great. Another thing you need to be mindful about is uh, being open-minded. You know, never assuming things if you don't understand what's happening around, if you don't have all the information you need. Just keep an open mind and see what's happening around. Get all the data points, ask people around and form the opinion after you have some facts at least available without making assumptions, you know. And you need to know how to talk to people. You need to know how to communicate and ask questions and, you know, be vulnerable sometimes, saying, I do not really know, I do not really understand, I want to understand, can you explain it to me? This is very important. But I would say the driver of all of this is your will to adapt your will to become better and to become a better fit for the current situation. Very well said. Alex, how can people find you? Uh, or, or is there some sort of cause that you'd like to uh, to promote? Now's the time. Um, I'm all over the network, you know, uh, all over the internet. I think the best place to reach me out is on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Mr. Underscore Make Underscore BY. And BY is because I'm originally from Belarus. So this is probably the best place to find me because I'm most frequent there. Apart from that, I have a GitHub uh, account, which is very similar. It's mister Mig. So if someone has any questions or want to reach me out, please do so. I can answer your questions. Awesome. Yeah, I have found that, that, uh, that Alex is very approachable uh, and, and responds uh, very quickly. So yeah, definitely reach out to, to Alex for, for anything. He's a wealth of knowledge, as you can see, as you can hear. Uh, lots of lots of wisdom and um, and Alex, I really appreciate you coming on this podcast today and sharing that wisdom with our audience. Together, we're gonna make uh, we're gonna make a way for uh, the world's junior developers to uh, to get out of the rut and 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 get growing. Thank you, Byron. It was a pleasure for me to join you. All right. See you next time. Thanks for joining us today on the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Somerdahl. This podcast is for you. It's all about trying to help you become what the world needs you to be, a driven developer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with others or comment down below. If you'd like to follow me or this podcast, just look us up on facebook.com slash driven developer. 
and we'll see you next time.